0: thanks josh good morning everyone happy new year merry christmas all of that i mean how many of you the christmas decorations are put away wow more than i thought goodness i think you guys like it was like the big thing this year was like let's get the christmas decor up because we're sick of 2020 we need some cheers so let's get the lights up and all that stuff And then all of a sudden we've decided we've had about enough of that. And so it all went down pretty quickly. Interesting. Well, uh, New Year's, right? uh, In particular, oftentimes you get into the new year and you get into a new church calendar, a new church season. And of course, uh, we're going to talk about resolutions or something, right? That's that's usually what the pastor does each uh, brand new Sunday after the new year. Um, And I think it's funny because we always mark, we have these time markers in our brain that when the new year comes, like it's new year, new you, right? You make some adjustments to your life, maybe things that you've been putting off when you uh, realize that you are not quite who you want to be. You're not quite, you're not living the life that you were designed to live or that you want to live. And so, like, now is the time to make some adjustments. But it's funny because we put these time markers in our brain. Like, you can do that tomorrow. You could have done that in November, but yet you saw, like, Thanksgiving and pie and things coming. And you thought, oh, no, like, I want to, I need to indulge a little bit. So we'll just wait. Anybody? Is this, am I resonating? This is me. I'm speaking about me right now. You guys ever have that, where you're like, okay, I'm going to start eating a little better, so I better eat everything in the fridge now. Like, I got to get rid of that pumpkin pie, or I got to get rid of all the eggnog. You know, I better drink it, you know, so that, you know, heaven forbid you throw it away, all the Christmas cookies or whatnot. But with the new year, often comes these adjustments. You know, some of you probably dusted off the treadmill this week. When we realize when we've gotten to a point where our life, the living of our life is either in a rots or, or maybe doesn't match up with who we really want to be and how we're walking this life isn't going to get us to where we were truly meant to be. And so this morning, the message that I've prepared is called Worthy of the Calling. And it's my prayer today that we would resolve, that we would commit to love and serve each other more deeply and more beautifully than we have in the past because of the great calling that we have in Christ Jesus. How many know that we have this just this wonderful, beautiful calling in Christ Jesus? And I think sometimes we lose the fact, we lose the, the gravity and the magnitude of what we have in him. And so if you have your Bible this morning, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we'll read the first seven verses, and then we'll just kind of unpack that this morning. And um, we'll go from there. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 very familiar passage to many of you, I'm sure. It says, Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at this a little more deeply. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I thank you, God, for a brand new year. I thank you, God, that your mercies are fresh every morning, every day. We can start over with you every day understanding that your grace and your mercy is more than our sin. Your grace and your mercy covers us so beautifully and deeply. And so, God, with with this calling that we have in you, God, let us make those adjustments that we need to make. Let us make those um, resolutions and those adjustments to our living that we need to make to truly reflect the beauty and the worthiness of this calling that we have in you. Let us lay down our lives for the sake of your gospel. Let us lay down our lives for the sake of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this is uh, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And I don't know if you remember the background. A few years ago, we actually worked our way through the entire book of Ephesians. And the background, too, if you like, these, this, is a, this is a Gentile church. This is a church in Asia Minor, in the what would be now the Turkey, somewhere in that region there. And in Ephesus, this, this letter was written about A.D. 60 by Paul to the church that he had planted there. And if you remember, Ephesus is a hub. It's a, it's, it is a bustling huge city. It's a hub for trade. It's a hub for worship. In the city of Ephesus, one of the most notable things was the Temple of Artemis, or sometimes referred to as the Temple of Diana, if you, if you remember that. Okay, so there was a lot of pagan worship that would happen there. A lot of pagan worship, a lot of Greek gods, Roman gods, a lot of pre- pagan worship would happen in this city. And from prison, Paul writes this letter Back to a church in which he plants it, a church in which he loves. And in chapter 4, man, I wish we had time to work our way through the previous chapters, but in chapter 4 here, he's reminding them of this calling to live this life in a manner worthy of the calling in which they've been called. The idea of calling is an interesting one. You ever use those words, like to find your calling? Are you in your calling right now? Are you living your calling? A lot of times when we think of the word calling or when, maybe when you're like in high school and, and into college, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life, you use words like calling. What's my calling in life, my purpose? And a lot of times we think of it as our vocation fueled by passion. Like what is it that you're passionate about? What is it that really stirs you? What is going to get you out of bed each morning and into the office or whatever it might be? A lot of times we think of our nurses and our, our doctors with that, that vocation that they have fueled by the passion to help and serve. You know, maybe you're an entrepreneur. Maybe you're business-minded. You're a starter, and that fuels your passion. I think of our teachers. I think of our teachers. Man, that is a true calling that you would get up every morning to put yourself in that classroom every day to teach those little hearts. Man, it's a challenge. I think of... Uh, People who are driven by the creative. You know, get up every morning, you're just fueled by the creativity that comes in your job. But there's so many resources out there, countless articles from Forbes to to Oprah.com on on how to find your calling. I actually ran into a TED Talk this week. You guys get into TED Talks at all? They're pretty awesome, those little bite-sized, little 20-minute little encouragements and and talks on different various topics. I ran into one this week that said, how to find your purpose in five minutes. Sounds pretty easy, right? But how many of you know it's not quite that easy? There's, at at Amazon, there's uh, over 150,000 books and resources on finding your purpose, on finding your why. What it is that you're called to. What's my calling in life? But how many of you know that this Christian walk, that there's a calling that is so much deeper than any vocation simply fueled by passion. There's a call that we have in Christ Jesus that is so much bigger and more grand and more impactful than any job or vocation that we could ever, ever have. The word church in the Greek, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. And if you break down that word in the Greek, it means Uh, It comes from ek, which means out of, and the root kaleo, to call. So literally, the church is the called out ones, this calling that we have in Jesus Christ, that we've been called out of this world and into his glorious light to proclaim the excellencies of him. This calling that we have is the highest and most precious of callings. The calling that we have in Christ Jesus, when he beckoned us by his Holy Spirit, when he beckoned us by the truth of his word, when he called us to himself, we now have a new purpose. We now have a new living. We now, everything now points not to us, but points to him who's called us to himself. And it affects every element of our lives. Sometimes it's really easy to get caught up in, in segmented living. Put everything into buckets. Man, sometimes life is just hard to manage, isn't it? So you've got to put it in certain buckets, in certain areas, so then you end up with these different lives. I've got my family life over here. I've got my work life over here. I've got my church life over here. Like, I put it in these buckets so that it's all a little bit more manageable for me. But the calling to Christ Jesus to be a Christian, to be called out of the world and into his glorious light... That is a calling that transcends every area, every calling that we have. My family is now saturated with the gospel calling that is in Jesus. My work life is now saturated in mission and the calling in Christ Jesus. It is all about the glory of Christ. It's not just a vocation fueled by passion, but it's a choosing It's a voice and a beckoning called by our Creator God. And that calling in Jesus by the Scriptures and by the Holy Spirit, we have our greatest purpose. Many of you know the Westminster Shorter Catechism, right? The chief end of man, the purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. reminds me of a scripture in Revelation chapter 4. Verse 11 says, Worthy are you, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Even in this letter here, the book of Ephesians, this letter that Paul writes, he reiterates some of the beautiful highlights of this calling. I actually ran into this beautiful list in a sermon from John Piper this week. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 God chose us before the world was created to be blameless before Him, that He predestined us, that He called us, that He chose us before the world is created. Verse 5 in chapter 1, it says He predestined us, He picked us to be His children. And that means heirs of our Father. He chose us. It reminds me of being on the playground growing up. I've told stories of, uh, of this puffy coat that I wore. I got a puffy coat, big puffy coat, and I thought I looked big and strong in this coat. I was about second or third grade, about eight years old probably, and I thought for sure. Like, I wasn't always picked first in the, on the, in the playground games, kickball, whatever it was, because I wasn't that big. I was a pretty small kid, but I had this coat, and I thought for sure I was going to be picked, chosen first, Sadly enough, I was not. But God chose you before the foundation of the earth to know him, that, that the gospel would be proclaimed, maybe in a church or maybe through a family member or maybe while you were watching some preacher on TV, and the gospel all of a sudden wasn't foolishness to you any longer, but he chose you to know him, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth of his word came alive in your heart. He chose you. Verse 13, chapter 1, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is part of that beautiful, rich calling that we have in him. Verse 14, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? Chapter 2, verse 7, he goes on. He promises to spend an eternity increasing our joy in the immeasurable riches of his grace. Chapter 3, verse 10, says that he has given us the mission as a church to display his wisdom, even to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, that we, his church, would display his glorious wisdom. This beautiful calling that we have in Christ transcends, permeates, filters through every aspect of our lives. How, As you go through your day, as you go through each and every mundane moment of your day, do you think about the purpose and calling that you have in Christ? So many times I don't. So many times I don't. So many times the, the activity or the action or the, or the actual thing that I'm doing just takes on a life of its own, but I don't see the beautiful glory and purpose of Christ in those moments, whether it be with your kids, or with your spouse, or whether it be in your workplace. The mundane things have so much purpose when we remember the beautiful, uh, valuable calling that we have in Christ Jesus. I think about Jesus' calling of his disciples in Matthew chapter four, chapter 4 when he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He calls them to follow and he gives them gospel ministry. He, he takes their lives and, and transforms their purpose that they're no longer fishers or, or caught up in the uh, pursuits of this world, but now their purpose is bigger and fuller and it's for the souls of mankind. Something back in our... Uh, Uh, Our Acts series that we had, the Unstoppable series, Uh, something that I shared with you guys was was this deep conviction about the gospel being paramount. The gospel is paramount and everything else is either context or idolatry. The gospel for the believer is everything. Everything. The glory of Christ Jesus is everything. And so then everything in life either becomes context for the gospel or becomes idolatry and it competes for the gospel's attention. And so every bit of your life, your family, your work, um, uh, the mundane things becomes the beautiful context for the life of the believer to share and proclaim the gospel of Jesus and the glory of Christ. Let's read Ephesians chapter 1 again. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called. Now, as you read that sentence, as you read that verse, I want you to be careful for the trap that is there within. Is it to walk worthy of the calling? When you read that, do you understand what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling or to walk to gain a worthiness, a walk to attain or earn a worthiness. See, really what we're looking at here is to walk reflective of the calling in our lives, to walk reflective of Christ's work in our lives, not to earn our way or to prove our worth, but to walk reflecting the worth of the call that you've been called to. There's this temptation to try to earn our way, But really, we're walking reflective of the calling in Christ Jesus. The worth or worthiness isn't in you or me. It's not in our ability or our perfection or our sinlessness or our merit. The worth of this life, the worth of the calling is in the scandalous grace of Jesus The worth of this calling is in the fact that he shed his precious blood to call you, to receive you, to buy you back, to purchase you, and redeem you for the glory of his name. And so then we live, then we walk, reflecting the gravity of this calling, the worthiness of this calling. It's a worshipful living reflective of the glorious love and grace of Christ. This glorious love and grace that was demonstrated in the work of Christ on the cross, purchasing our redemption. We walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. Ran into a great quote this week by uh, R.C. Sproul. It says, what motivates and stimulates our behavior in attempting to live worthy lives is the grace by which we have been saved. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is Ephesians chapter 2. Right? It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself so that no one can boast. So that no one can boast. Reminding us that it's not in me, but it's in Christ alone. So we're supposed to walk in a manner worthy in which we've been called. In your life, do you remember the great calling and purpose that you have in him? And then does your living reflect that calling? Do you think about that often? Do you evaluate the mundane moments of your life, the living of your life, in in relation to the purpose that you have in Christ Jesus? Let's read our text again this morning. Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you received. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's stop right there. This worthy living, what does it look like? What does it look like? Verse 2 gives us a glimpse to what it looks like, and it's so amazingly relational. A lot of times we think of this personal walk with Jesus, it's just this time in our, in our quiet zone, in our, in our bedroom, or, or our prayer closet, or whatever it might be. It's very personal. It's just me and Jesus. But it's this, this walking, this manner that is worthy of our calling is so amazingly relational. It looks like Unity. It looks like togetherness. This life, this walking looks like oneness because of our rallying points. And that rallying point is Christ Jesus, our great Redeemer. It's his good news. It's the Holy Gospel. That is our only rallying point. It is the thing that brings us together and unites us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, okay? He's uniting us to himself by his blood. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. Paul, in that section right there, Ephesians chapter 2, he's actually speaking to the Gentiles, right? The difference, uh, the division that was in the Gentiles and the Jews, right? That there was this dividing line, this, this wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. But in Christ Jesus, there is no wall of hostility, that he has broken it down, thereby killing the hostility because we've been reconciled to God through the cross, through the cross of Jesus Christ. We've been brought together, and our rallying point is the work of Jesus. There's so many times I feel like we get our eyes off of our rallying point, that division and and, um, fractions come up within a congregation, within a body, because our eyes aren't just focused in on the beauty of Christ Jesus and this amazing call that we have in him that our eyes get off of our rallying point in Christ Jesus and the mission of the church to share that gospel. But then I go, okay, then how do we get there? How do we get our eyes back on Christ? How do we get our eyes back, um, seeing eye to eye with one another, united together beautifully in this bond that we have in Christ Jesus? And I think the key is in verse 2. When you read our text again, it says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, because there's one body, there's one Spirit, just your call to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. How do we get there? How do we walk in a manner worthy of this calling? It comes from this very base trait to the Christian life, and that's humility. Do you, remember, do you realize how foundational humility is to the walk of a believer? that we would lay ourselves down, that we would humble ourselves, that we would effectively kill ourselves, that we would die to ourselves, to our flesh, to our control, and that we would let the sovereign king of all the universe actually be sovereign over my heart and life. That's a huge thing. And we would humble ourselves. See, we like to think of God as sovereign king, lord over all, the one who hung the stars in his plate, this very cosmic sense of the sovereignty of God. But is he sovereign over you? Is he sovereign over the mundane walking, the mundane moments of your life? Does he have complete control and reign? That's a Daunting question to ask. See, with all humility, walk manner of the worthy of the calling that you've received in Christ Jesus. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. And that's not just humility before our God. Although it's huge of that, it's the starting point of our walk with him. But it's also our humility, one with another, as the church. Um, I ran into another great quote this week by Jonathan Edwards on pride. It says, Pride is the worst viper that is in the heart. It is the first sin that ever entered into the universe, and it lies lowest of all the foundation of the whole building of sin and is the most secret, deceitful, unsearchable in its ways of working, of any lust whatsoever. It is ready to mix with everything, and nothing is so hateful to God, contrary to the spirit of the gospel, or of so dangerous consequence. And there is no one sin that does much let in the devil into the hearts of the saints and expose them to his delusions. What a, what a, it puts the idea of pride, the opposite of humility, into perspective, doesn't it? I think about Lucifer. I think about Lucifer. I think, I think of Satan when he fell, right? It was the sin of pride. I think of, of Eve when she's in the garden. She hears the voice of Satan. The voice, uh, like, did God really say? Pride creeps into her heart. Maybe he didn't say. Maybe he doesn't know. Maybe he isn't sovereign humility is so vitally important for us to walk in a manner worthy of this calling and for us to experience true unity as a church true unity of a body for us to be humble before our god to also be humble before each other is so so important c.s lewis in mere christianity said as long as you are proud you cannot know god A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And, of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Get our eyes on Jesus to see how Christ humbled himself. Man, we just celebrated Christmas, right? God incarnates the exalted Savior of the world. He puts on flesh, and he's born so humbly in a manger. He taught and modeled uh, how we should be humble and how we should serve. I think about the request of James and John back in Mark chapter 10. I think it was John, cha- uh, Mark chapter 10. Right? Uh, James, James and John walk up to Jesus and, and they, they make the request that they'd like to sit on his right and on his left when he's in glory. It's like asking for a promotion. Have you ever had that awkward conversation where you're like, I'm going to go into the boss's office, and I'm going to go ask for a raise, I'm going to go ask for a promotion? And it's like, okay, so you wander in there, and it's just like so awkward. And you're like, so, uh, I was wondering, when you're in your glory, maybe John can sit on one side of you, and maybe I can sit on the other. And he replies in Mark chapter 10, verse 43, But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus himself came not to be served, but to serve, to humble himself, and to serve one another. Last week, in response to Josh's teaching, I encouraged us to get out there. We're going to live a life of surrender. we got to get out there and to serve one another. Serve your spouse. Serve your family. Get out there and serve just like Jesus served. The Lord God washed the feet of his disciples, gave them this amazing example of what it was to humble himself. We as a congregation must humble ourselves before our Lord, but we must humble ourselves and serve one another. Sometimes it's hard to serve people that should know better. <laughs> I feel like the church in general, like we're really gracious with sinners out there. We look out there and we go, hey, you know what, they don't know any better, right? It's like, it's like uh, no, a little kid or something like that. Like, oh, no, they don't know any better. It's, there's, there's grace for them. We can be gracious towards them. We can, we, can, we can be kind towards them because they don't know any better. They're lost sinners. But then we get within this wall, these walls. We get within these groups where we go, these people are Christians. These people are redeemed. These people are supposed to know better. And all of a sudden, like, grace is like, pfft. Like, how dare you say that to me? How dare you, you treat me like that? How dare, like, and then all of a sudden, it's not just what they did, but then it's our wicked response to it. And I can't say it any other way. It's just wickedness. And then we think we're justified in it because they should know better. But the calling in Christ Jesus is to humility. It's to gentleness. It's to patience and bearing with one another. Bearing with one another is an interesting concept. To bear with one another. To put up with someone. To put up with their foolishness. To put up with sometimes um, uh, their... Uh, what's the word? Absurdity. <laughs> to put up with their ridiculousness sometimes, to put up with their pride sometimes, and to endure with them. Instead of allowing our pride to rise up and say, how dare you? But that we would endure with one another. The Greek word, actually, for bearing with one another means to endure. Actually, Second Thessalonians chapter 1 It's the same word used here and it says, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the church of God for your steadfastness and faith in all of your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring, that you are bearing. It's just like if you were to endure persecutions and afflictions from outside of the church, we are to bear with one another within the church. There's this dance between strength and gentleness sometimes. Sometimes we don't know how to be gentle and patient and yet strong in proclaiming the word. Sometimes we think that the people in the church shouldn't hurt us, that we're beyond that, that we're more mature than that, but really, like I said, the response to whatever they've done is really the key. It sometimes reveals our own maturity or lack thereof. Instead of extending grace, we take offense and thus not walk in a manner worthy of this calling that we've received. You see, as we read our text, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is something at stake in walking in a manner worthy. And it's not just you. It's not just you and your salvation. It's just not you and your sanctification. It's just not you and your walk with God. But there's something about this walking worthy in a manner, walking in a worthy manner of this calling that we've received that is, um, it's bigger. It's way bigger than you. And it has to do with this church. It has to do with the collective of God's people. When you walk in humility, when you walk in gentleness, when you walk in patience and bearing with one another, what it does is it helps maintain a unity amongst believers, a unity amongst a body, which then makes us potent with the gospel mission that we have It makes us focused, it helps keep us focused on our great mission in Christ, which is his glory and the gospel. When there is a lack of humility, when there is pride that creeps in, when there's a lack of gentleness, when there's harsh words that are shared, when there is a lack of patience with one another, what happens is, is we spin and, 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 and we, we erode away um, a, a unity that is deeply sacred because it's the church of Jesus Christ. We have to fight for unity in the church. See, when we're full of discord when we're not focused in on the rallying point of Jesus, but we're off in the weeds about different things, whether it be politics or COVID response or, or what have you, whatever it might be, whether it's how we do missions or how we do this or how we do that, and there's no grace extended, when there's no, no uh, patience extended, when there's no gentleness extended, we become ineffective on showing forth the glory of Christ and are not walking in a worthy manner of this calling that we have in Him. So we fight for unity in the church. And the weapons that we fight with are humility and gentleness and patience. We bear with one another in love. See, the weapons that we fight with for this sacred unity is laying ourselves down, it's serving one another. It's extending grace extravagantly, just as Christ did for you. It's serving one another, just as Christ did for us. So, as we conclude, and as Nate comes, in this new year, I am so hopeful for the church. 2020's done, right? Good, good riddance. <laughs> all that it had, all it entailed. I'm not sure how much is going to change. Again, like I said, we like to put these false time markers in our lives like all of a sudden like new year, new me, this and that. But unless we actually make some adjustments, unless we actually commit ourselves to something, committing ourselves to walk, to live in a manner worthy of the calling, like seeing the calling that we have in Christ personally but also collectively and go, okay, now we walk. Now we live Now we fight for the unity of of the church of Jesus Christ because then we become potent with the glory of Jesus Christ. Then we become potent with the gospel of Jesus Christ for the sake of his name. So we fight for unity. We fight with humility and gentleness. We fight with patience. We bear with one another. Just as I said last week, I really want to encourage you guys again this week. As we go from this place, reflect on these words and then serve somebody. Serve your spouse, serve your kids, serve your family. But I also want you this week to serve somebody in this church. And please don't, not me, okay? A lot of times, Pastor Kevin, pastors, people up front, they get a lot of attention. You guys, I love you guys and you guys guys have shown a lot of care for my wife and I this year. You really have, and it's beautiful, and I thank you so much. Seriously, from the bottom, this year was really hard. It was a really hard ministry year, and a lot of you really care for my family, and I really appreciate it. There's a lot of people in this church that need you to care for them as well. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Serve someone this week. Reach out to them. Care for them. And I am so excited for what God's going to do in this church. Like, I don't feel like I should be as optimistic as I am about 2021. But really, as we get this, if we get this, if we live this, if we walk in a manner worthy of this beautiful calling we have, gosh, the church is going to shine bright in a dark and hurting world. And I'm excited for that. Father thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word and I thank you for this beautiful calling we have in you. God if there is divisions in this church, if there are fractions in this church, if there are bad attitudes in this church, if if whatever it might be, God, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would humble ourselves before each other. God the gentleness be seen that we'd be so patient with one another God that we would serve one another just as you've served us help us oh God because this church is sacred and I thank you for that we love you God we thank you we praise you in Jesus name amen. let's stand let's sing real quick before we leave